Lance Raider, you've been called the king beyond the wall. Westeros only has one king. Bend the knee, I promise you mercy. Kneel and live. This was my home for many years. I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Good morrow, sneaky spiders and drunken dwarves, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, honorary neophyte of the Pilluminati. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, Khaleesi of Cloud Creation. And this is episode 83. On this episode of our series rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones, season 5, episode 1, the wars to come. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to get roasted alive by an angry dragon deep within a dark abyss, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Yes, the wars to come. It's oh, mentioned so a few cool, times man. here. George has, you know, kind of a way with, with words, of we, as we've discussed before, like the king in the north. He just has like a cool way of saying certain things. And this is mm-hmm. another good one, the wars to come. I don't know. It's just yes. something cool about it. And it kind of haunted back to, well, I guess, well, it haunted back to when we first heard this, but it's later on in the series is when Sir Arthur Dane says this to Ned Stark yes. at the tower where Leona's giving birth. Yes. Oh, crackpot tinfoil theory. Man's, man's raider tinfoil. is Arthur Dane. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that comes up a few times the wars to come so why don't we switch it up what is your number five? Oh my god getting me unprepared here <laughs> <laughs> my number five of course is lord of the veil sweet robin <laughs> the boob yeah just so funny um we get we see ollie getting whooped on by Jon snow and then next scene we get lord robin aaron here getting whooped on by some little boy at um at lord royce's place yes whooped on is a kind way to put it duncan <laughs> right so funny royce is telling um bela she's like oh my god you know my my boys had swords in their hands from the time that they were born and they're just laughing at how terrible robin is and what does he say he, that he has he swings a sword like a girl with palsy palsy <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Um, Robin is a part of my number three, so I might collaborate with you a little bit. Okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, there isn't really too much to say. From, like, I don't have too many notes. I just thought it was so funny just how he's getting whooped so badly. Totally. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Baelish is like, I'm sure by the time I return, his skills will have improved immeasurably. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> Royce is like, I can't guarantee that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. They're talking about how he's just got no skills. This one, Lord Aaron, will never be a great warrior. And uh, Baelish says he has other gifts. You know, the gift of a great name, which is kind of funny. And we get yes. another reference to the uh, idea of having a great name later. 
when uh, Varys is giving his outrageous qualifications for the you know the proper ruler the the needed ruler to Tyrion. Yes. And, uh, well, we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, yeah he I'd, says a gift a a gift of a great name. Sometimes that's all one needs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's what yeah, Baelish in the scene. I thought he might also be kind of foreshadowing here that he's going to be using Sansa's name to his advantage ah, by selling catch. her. Yeah, selling her to the Boltons. Totally right. Totally right. Um, because right before he says that, he gets a letter which Sansa takes note of. She, you know, is kind of looking over and he looks at her and she like pretends like she's not looking at anything. Mm. Um, so that's kind of as a viewer, as a first time viewer, like this is kind of a clue that maybe Littlefinger has plans to use Sansa for something to his advantage. To totally. Him. Definitely. Great catch. And at the uh, later on in a later scene, they leave. And instead of going east, like they told Lord Royce, they're going west, which is um, obviously they're going to went to Winterfell, right? Yes. So they're yeah. gonna they're gonna go through Moat Kaelin, which I think is west of the Erie, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. So yeah, their plans are in motion using Sansa's name as well. Yes. Good catch. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up my number five. Just a funny little scene that I thought was you know I I just like it every time we see it. So. Yeah, it's a good one. Pathetic little Robin dangling <laughs> the sword around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Save me. <laughs> So what's your number five? Okay, my number five is Tywin's really gone. Oh, yeah, that's true. So I know that we get Maggie the frog, which actually is um, not in my top five. Ah, it's my number um, one, so we'll talk about okay, that. Okay, fabulous. Later. So I'm going to start kind of after Maggie the frog scene. Um, so Cersei is clearly in the, in her litter thinking back to that memory of Maggie the Frog. Yep. And it's funny how they call those things litters, too. It cracks me up. I know. I always <laughs> think of, like, litter box. Yeah, that's basically what it is. <laughs> They're just carting them around in a shit box, you yeah, know. Yeah, would no that make deal. Cersei the turd? Yes. <laughs> um, I, I love that they don't use very many flashbacks in this show. Yeah, I don't think they did any at all before this scene. I believe this is the first flashback that we see minus Bran's vision when he touches the weirwood tree, which is flash images of what we perceive to be unknown past, present, or future. Right. So there could be some stuff in the past there, like flashback-wise, but this is the first literal flashback I believe we get on the entire show. Yeah, I think you're right. So, I again, I know we talked about this last week with the use of slow motion, mm -hmm. and its effects kind of used to dramatize a scene, and I, I know I said it should be dramatic without slow motion. Right. And I think this... This is the same theory kind of applies to flashbacks. I think flashbacks is a really easy way out to tell us the history of the story. Right. And I love that the showrunners and George R. R. Martin don't really use that many flashbacks in their writing. It just makes when they do use them, they're extremely strong and meaningful. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like this scene is critical. It's cr it's a critical scene, absolutely. So Cersei 
is walking up the stairs and she passes Marjorie. And the look she gives her lets the audience know, the first time viewer know that Cersei thinks Marjorie is the, the queen. queen that's coming along, that's more beautiful. And so she gives her that look like, ugh. And Marjorie gives her one right back, which I kind of loved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so she walks up and she meets the Septon at the top of the staircase. And, you know, he basically tells her, you know, everybody's been waiting. And she says, I want a moment alone with him. And the Septon goes, they've traveled a long way, Your Grace. And she goes, they will wait. And mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, the, the Septon, yeah. Yeah, for the people that want to, you know, see Tywin's body. And I'm glad that she stood her ground here. I mean, Cersei is obviously a character that is always going to stand her ground. Mm -hmm. But I think it is appropriate for the family to see his body before the people that have traveled a long way. <laughs> and, it, and it's also sort of like a little test to see if they'll, they'll if people will listen to Cersei now that Tywin's gone. Yes. Oh, that's a great catch. I didn't even think about it that way. That's very interesting. Um, so she enters the Scepter and the Reigns of Castamere starts playing and it's very dark. Jamie's there standing over Tywin's body. And in the book, it's a seven day vigil, just so, so you guys know oh, this. So really? Jamie would have been standing in there for seven days in context of like full story context and every day Tywin putrefies a little bit more. Ew. Yeah. So he's basically watching his dad decompose. He's like liquefying by the end of it basically. Oh, ew. <laughs> yeah. Gross. It's real real gnarly. Yeah, so Cersei being her bitchy self looks at Jamie and says he never wanted you to be a king's guard, but here you are protecting his body. And I thought that that was kind of an evil sentiment to her brother because wasn't it the Mad King that had Jamie become a king's guard to yeah. kind of slap Tywin in the face? Exactly. Yep. So it wasn't really Jamie's um, desire in any way to be a king's guard, right? And you know, I know that we don't get that much on the show if at all that the mad king did this on purpose to kind of slap tywin across the face because the mad king didn't like tywin and loved tywin's wife yeah they they had started out as friends and then they ended up having you know falling out basically disagreeing yeah. with, with you know various things and Although, um, in terms of it, Jamie necessarily didn't necessarily strive to be a king's guard, and he was appointed that as a slight to Tywin, but also he he did idolize um, Arthur Dane, who was a, a king's guard, and maybe it was within his ambitions to become a king's guard to follow in the oh, footsteps of Arthur Dane. Okay. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. But that wasn't the driving factor of how it ended up happening. That's for sure. Yeah. So I just thought from the show's perspective i think people could take it that jamie wanted to be a king's guard and he took the oath you know i mean i know he probably took it willingly anyways but it we know from the books it wasn't necessarily his initial idea to become a king's guard he may not have been opposed to it when it was brought to his attention right. but he didn't like go to his dad and say hey i want to go be a king's guard definitely yep 
So I just wanted to make that little note there that, you know, from a book perspective, that line to Jamie is kind of insulting because it really wasn't his idea. Yeah, it's like, it's but, not my fault. Yeah, but from a show perspective, you could assume that Jamie did choose this and went against his father and Cersei's given him shit about it, which either way is just not a kind thing for Cersei to do in this situation. Yeah, totally. It's funny. He's like, he's putting up a front of like a, like a unified front, you know, he's projecting unified front, like they're going to come and try to take everything. We have to protect each other. And she's just like, sort of not into it. You know, <laughs> she doesn't really seem to be on his team. No, not at all. Um, he goes when he, what he built, it's ours. He built it for us. He meant it for us. They're going to try and take it away. All of them out there are enemies. They're waiting yeah. in line to make sure he's really dead. As soon as, as soon as they see the stones on his eyes, they'll send weapons tearing us apart. Yeah. And I, that's why I labeled my number five, Tywin's really gone because people are waiting to see that he's really gone. Yeah. I found this a really important sentence or a paragraph in the script. Definitely. Because it is their unraveling as the Lannister house. Everybody's just waiting to move, waiting to take action. They just want confirmation before they let loose the dogs of war, basically. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how Cersei knows that he did it, too, that he let Tyrion free. That's actually kind of right where I was going. Um, she starts just kind of dismissing that whole notion, and she starts going into the man who murdered our father is the enemy. That little monster is out there somewhere drawing breath. <laughs> yeah, she's so, like, fixated on her hatred for Tyrion. Yes, and so, you know, Jamie kind of defends him a little bit, and then she figures it out, like, you're the one that let him go. Mm. Um, and then I loved this sentiment that Tyrion killed him on purpose, but you killed him by mistake. And I thought that that was a really harsh way to put it to her brother. Because yeah, she's really good. By letting Tyrion go, that's how Tywin died. I mean, right. that's that's a true statement. Yeah, she's like, you just do stuff and, and never mind the consequences. Well, take a look. Look at the consequences. Here they are. But he could have easily spun this back around on her and been like, the consequences of what I did. The only reason yes. I had to free Tyrion was because you bribed people to make false confessions and false statements against him and had him falsely you know imprisoned and ended up being convicted to to die it's your fault that i was forced to take action to save an innocent person and that he decided to kill our dad because he was in on it too it's he fucking so cersei's off. fault it's all cersei's fault it is and i feel like she's kind of projecting it back onto jamie because i think deep down in a weird way cersei knows this yeah you're probably right that this is all her fault so she wants to kind of pass pass the, the guilt book yeah on to her brother who by default like you just said let an innocent man go but then ended up committing a crime and killing their dad which right. is kind of the unraveling of their house so it's just this horrid domino effect that really kind of starts with what we'll get into later with maggie the frog right. um, and cersei kind of fulfilling this prophecy of yeah fucking up her house totally. <laughs> basically yeah so um, she goes on to say that you're a ma man of action, aren't you? Never mind the consequences. 
And, you know, she kind of just keeps rubbing it in. And right before she leaves, she goes, look at the consequences. He loved you more than anyone in this world. Uh, and it was interesting. I had kind of a funny thought as I was watching this scene. I was thinking, what if Tyrion, because I know that there's theories out there that Tyrion is a Targaryen. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking just how kind of crazy Cersei is and how kind of calm and collected Jaime is in this scene. And I was thinking, what if Tyrion is Tywin's only son <laughs> and Cersei and Jaime are the Mad King's children? <laughs> yeah, it'd be so ironic. Because Cersei even says at one point that when a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. Right. And, they're, and Cersei and Jaime are a perfect manifestation of that, if it's the case, or an illustration of it. Yeah, and they're twins. Right. Both sides of the coin. Both sides of the coin. So I thought that was kind of funny because in the last episode, right before Tyrion kills Tywin, he goes, I am your son. Right. So I just thought that that was kind of a funny little, I know that there's theories out there, but I just thought to myself like, oh my gosh, what if we come to find out that, because <laughs> people make uh, comparisons all the time to Cersei and the Mad King. And so that would make Cersei and Danny half sisters. Yeah. Damn, that would be bugged out. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. That's, it's like Dance of the Dragons round two kind of in that case, if that was, you know, if that's accurate. Yeah, so I just kind of, I, I mean, there's not really much to go on, but I know that sometimes George R.R. R. Martin kind of leads people down a rabbit hole, mm -hmm. leading them to believe one thing and it's actually something completely different. Yeah, totally. So it just, the thought just crossed my mind and it was just a fleeting thought, but I thought I would bring this up here because it was kind of interesting what the last thing T Tyrion said to his dad and the stark contrast between Cersei and Jaime in this scene, how mm -hmm. evil she's being to him and how like calm and collected he's being with her. There's a scene outside the Siege of River Run in the books where Sir Jaime is speaking with one of his aunts or something like a, a different Lannister woman. Mm -hmm. And she's talking with him and comparing... Tyrion to Tywin and saying, you know, Ty Tyrion is Tywin's true son, you know, similar with the way that they plan and think and do stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of interesting that, yeah, Tyrion may have been Tywin's only only son, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome that that's in the book, too. Yeah. So maybe it's not so, like, fleeting. So much good stuff in the books. Read the books, guys. And if you want a free audiobook, send us an email and we can send you a free uh, free audiobook. We haven't really been pumping that lately. We should. Yeah. Love giving out free books. Yeah, it's awesome. You gave me a free book. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, that's all I had for this scene. Do you have anything else you want to add? I guess we can just say Tywin looked creepy as hell with those stones over his eyes. He looked like his eyes were still open. Yeah. Did that not kind of wig you out too? <laughs> yeah, it gives you that uncanny valley effect, they call it, where something is like almost human but not quite, and it makes you yeah. feel like disgusted or uneasy, reviled. Yeah, it was definitely creepy. Revolted. Yeah, totally. He's even like overpowering in death. He had like <laughs> yeah. that stare going. I'm like, ooh. The death stare. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Totally. 
All right, so my number four is outrageous qualifications. So Tyrion, he's basically, Tyrion wants to drink himself to death, and Varys is convincing him to uh, to not do that, basically. And Tyrion's like, why did you, do, why did you save me? And he's like, I didn't do it for you. And true to character, as he's been claiming the whole time, you know, he did it for the realm. He thinks that... He thinks that... Are you thinking like I believe men have a part to play in the war to come? Yes, yeah. He's he's he's, he's a, he thinks that men of talent have a part to play in the war to come, and there it is that war to come thing yep. again. Yeah. So they're talking back and forth, and he's like, he's basically saying that that he he's has this plan and he sees what needs to happen to fix the realm, and Tyrion's part of it, and the the seven kingdoms need someone who's stronger than Tommen but gentler than Stannis, which is kind of a you know, he's looking at all the options and he's like finding things wrong with all of them. And uh, he need a monarch who can intimidate the high lords and simultaneously inspire people. A ruler who's loved by millions, who also has a powerful army and the right family name. And there, we've just had the War of Five Kings going on and most of them are dead at this point. Um, actually, all of them, right? Stannis won the War of Five Kings technically. Oh no, Balon um, I, is still alive. Yeah, I was going to say Balon's still alive, but he's kind of in disarray because <laughs> yeah. his daughter left, his son's a eunuch, and <laughs> right. they're kind of retreating back to um, to uh, Pike. To Pike, yeah. So, I mean, he, technically he's still alive, but he's on the run. Right, so Tyrion's going over these options in his head, too, and he's like, yeah, good good luck finding him, the guy with those qualifications, because that doesn't exist, uh, dude, you know? And uh, Varys has that great response, who said anything about him? I love that. I love that so much. You know, and we realize that there's a player that Varys knows about that Tyrion doesn't really know about in a, like to any great extent and doesn't realize the significance of for sure um, so he tells him you know you have a choice you can stay here at Illyrio's palace and drink yourself to death or you can ride with me to Marine, meet Daenerys Targaryen and decide once and for all if the world is worth fighting for and I love Tyrion's response there can I drink myself to death on the road to Marine? You know? <laughs> I love him. Classic <laughs> imp fashion, the god of tips and wine, and uh, yes, yeah. So I just thought it was funny, like these these outrageous qualifications. Someone who can intimidate the high lords, which is fucking crazy. They don't take shit from nobody. You know what I mean? Who can yeah. also inspire the people? People don't necessarily typically like the you know the asshole high lords. So it's not really common for one to be loved by the people. Um, someone. <laughs> someone who is has a powerful army and the right name like what are the odds of that person existing but Danny meets all the qualifications and it's just impressive Varys's long game because for viewers who may not have realized this the manse of of Varys's friend whose place they're at Illyrio Mopatis we've that's the place that Danny that's was where Danny started in episode yep. one with Viserys yeah uh, get yeah with their creepy incest brother kind of and yeah the you know the guy whispering of dragon banners in Viserys's ear that was Illyrio Mopatis and he was the guy also walking through the dungeons of of King's Landing of uh, the Red Keep with Varys talking about if one hand can die so can the other 
and uh, when Arya was hiding inside of Balerion's skull. So he's That's been right. a yeah. So he's been a consistent presence, even if it's behind the the scenes on the show throughout the show. Kind of, it's pretty cool. So I just kind of like that line. Uh, Can I drink myself to death on the road to Marine? Because because <laughs> that then we know that Tyrion is at least intrigued by this proposition. You know, it's like hmm, but maybe I will go to Marine see what's see what's going on over there. You know, so it's just kind of cool. Yeah. Um. I love when they start the scene. Um, you know, Tyrion is looking out, out, you know, off to, into the ocean, and mm. um, Varys approaches, and he goes, "The eunuch, the spider, the master of whispers, half man, imp." <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can just tell that they have kind of a little friendship through that, right? You know, yeah, busting you know, chops. Yeah, bust and chops exactly, and it's great. Um, I I just this is a, this is a good um, this is a good scene between the two of them. Right, and speaking of teams like Jamie trying to be a team with Cer with Cersei and whatnot, that's something that team members do is like bust chops like that. You know, so yeah, it kind of signals that Tyrion and Varys are on the same team. Obviously, they kind of are because Varys you know gave everything up to spirit Tyrion away from danger but uh you know they're 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 talking like they're on the same team so it's cool yeah i love this definitely. combo man me too that would be another great spin-off series yes the spider the and the imp and the spider yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly nice awesome what's your uh number four my number four is manson john's conversation and just overall respect for each other nice yeah so we kind of start i thought about doing mance's death as my number four but i i just i felt like leading their their conversation and dialogue leading up to mance's death was more important than the actual scene itself in a way sure um so he goes, so here we are, <laughs> you know, you know, this doesn't have to be our last meeting. No, but it will be. And it's like, oh man, he knows he's gonna not, die. yeah, he's not going to bend the knee. Um, he figures it out before John even says it to him that he wants me to bend the knee and he wants the free folk to fight for him. Oh shit. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how in tune Mance is to what, you know, Westerosi politics, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's like the if I will you kind of thing. If I give you this, will you do this for me? Right, right. <laughs> give and take. Um, so I like Mance's sentiment here with Stannis. He goes, I respect him. If he gets what he wants, I, I'll expect he'll be a better ruler than all the fools sitting on the Iron Throne the last 100 years, but I'll never serve him. And I thought that was really cool because we know that Mance does not like the Night's Watch. He clearly doesn't like the idea of Westerosi politics because he became the king beyond the wall. Mm -hmm. He actually left that world behind. Yeah, he's just against to the monarchy in general, basically. But we've seen that he 
isn't blinded by that. He knows respect, you know, honorable, respectful men when he comes across them. Mm-hmm. And we see this with John and we see it with Stannis. Yeah, so true. we know that this is a part of like his personality, his actual meaning it wasn't just something like him and john just happened to connect and bond right that that man sees this in other people too even like cold-hearted people like stannis gives credit where credit's due regardless of you know who it is basically absolutely so he keeps on going he goes i don't want them bleeding for stannis either um so again it rings true you know i just i want my people to stop dying like that's why we want on the other side of your wall period and right. story you think i'm gonna just allow them to fight somebody else's war that we have nothing to do with if i have to yeah. explain that to you you're not gonna get it <laughs> right yeah so um you know john is still trying to figure out a way to appeal to to man's he's pretty and- crafty too he makes some good arguments he absolutely does. He said, you spent basically a lifetime bringing together, you know, the wildlings, the Fens, the Hornfoots, the Black Ears. 90 tribes for the first time in history. Yeah. You know, isn't saving them more important than your pride? I mean, I thought that that was a really, you know, nice try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, but, but unfortunately for John, it has nothing to do with his pride. <laughs> yeah, and I think... I think John kind of knew that, but he's just trying to find any angle to get. Yep. Because a man that can find respect and honor and, you know, people that maybe he doesn't necessarily 100% agree with, it's highly doubtful that he's going to die just for his pride. Right. For something, yeah, superficial and et cetera. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And he goes, they follow me because they respected me, because they believed in me. The moment I kneel for a Southern king, that's all gone. That's so true, too. You can lose your entire following by betraying something that, like, if you create a following based on a philosophy and it's not a cult of personality, you know, they're not going to follow you if you betray the philosophy that you've been a proponent of that gave you your status and your rise you know, and their respect, it's, uh, yeah, like, your whole movement will be, will turn on you if you if you betray their, their values. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Mance does, he, he is honest here, and he says, oh, I am afraid. There's no shame in that. Yep. Um, and I think he's saying this for many things. He's afraid to die. He's afraid for his people. He's afraid for what's coming. Um, you know, it's... He's afraid and he's saying that there's nothing wrong with being afraid and but I, he's I being liked. brave too right which harkens yeah. back to that ned stark quote oh totally you know like what is it bran asks him like how can you be brave if you're scared and ned tells him you you can only be brave when you're when scared. you're scared you know when you're yeah. in fear so that, that this is um Mance exemplifying that here as well as he's you know steadfastly holds his guns and follows through yeah so he asks john you know how are they gonna do it and he goes they're gonna burn you alive and the look on Mance's <laughs> yeah. face was like oh bad way to go <laughs> yeah it's not cool <laughs> not That's cool like at the all, worst man. way to go <laughs> yeah oh man um uh, you know and 
I think his sentiment really rings true. I mean, he knows it's going to be very painful, but he goes, I don't want my people to remember me like that, scorched and screaming, but it's better than betraying everything that I believe in. Right. Yeah. It's so hardcore, man. You got to respect yeah, that, you know? To to piggyback on what you were saying about Ned Stark, Mance and Ned Stark are very similar because the only thing that appealed to Ned was his daughter's life it wasn't his life mm -hmm. that he was willing to die for what he believed in and what he knew to be true but the only reason that got him to go the other way was when Varys said well what of your daughter's life my right Lord? like they'll fucking yeah, you you don't want to betray the people in charge right now because your daughters are not gonna be happy with the results yeah and so john john he's you know he's Keeping at Mance, he goes, and what happens to your people? You preserve your dignity and die standing, and they'll sing songs about you. You'd rather die than kneel. You'd rather great burn hero. than kneel. Oh, burn oh, than kneel, that's right. man. Until winter comes and the White Walkers come for us all, and there's no one left to sing. And, okay, before and now the I, rains weep over their halls. Right? With no one there to hear. But did you see the teaser that game of thrones pushed out yesterday i did not okay it doesn't give much away in the light of you don't see any characters but it's the opening credit type situation where ice and fire kind of like converge and oh, it it looks to be making like a dragon glass wall <laughs> whoa That's it's sick. really cool yeah and so when he said like there's until winter comes and the white walkers come for us all and there's no one left to sing I, i'm telling you i'm not sure this has any type of happy ending at all <laughs> yeah i kind of hope it doesn't <laughs> imagine how epic that would be yeah i mean it's not really spoilery the the teaser so i feel comfortable enough talking about just a little bit of it but if you read into it like i watched it three or four times and I'm curious to see as season eight plays out how that kind of one minute trailer or not a trailer, it's a teaser. Um, but it's like this, the smoke of the snow starts coming down from the north. It freezes the a dire wolf piece. It freezes a dragon. Oh, it's looking at the map, right? Yes. The, uh, it's looking at the map and it's Agen's coming down the table. map. Mm -hmm. it's coming down the map and it's freezing like down through the neck and then all of a sudden it pans back to the south and um the lannister lion ignites and oh, starts moving shit. north and it kind of converges where i th i think it might be the neck it's Probably. kind of hard it to tell sense. but when the fire and the ice converge all this like black spiky stuff starts popping up and it looks to be making like a dragon glass obsidian wall. yeah yes damn that sounds and so then cool. it kind of just cuts to black but i mean you can kind of i mean you can kind of read into that a little bit yeah <laughs> so, sure um i just thought you know okay the you know the stark got iced over the Targaryen got iced over the dragon. The Lannister lit on fire 
Yeah, like, what the and fuck? I thought to my, I thought to myself, kind of Cersei's own undoing. She's kind of lighting her house on fire because she oh. just doesn't give I will a fuck burn anymore. This house to the ground yep. before I let that happen. <laughs> yep. So, I, if I take it literally, none of the houses survive. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. But we'll see. Then the wheel but will truly be broken. I would love to hear if any of our listeners watched the teaser and have any kind of theories on what they think it's foreshadowing yeah and i'll have to watch it too because it definitely doesn't sound like spoilery like there's no like scenes or anything no which is why i i I, uh, typically i watch one trailer the first one that comes out that shows scenes from the upcoming season and then then i don't watch any more promos but i don't know i might not watch any this year except for this one because it doesn't show this one is okay i was apprehensive to watch it because i was afraid that it was going to be more like a trailer right and it has nothing there's no scenes it's just the board the the map and it just fire and ice converging kind of in the center of westeros oh man i can't freaking wait i'm looking forward to going into it as blind as possible yeah me too nice but anyways so that's when we get Mance's kind of response to him. If if you can't understand why I won't enlist my people in a foreigner's war, there's no point explaining it to you. Yep. And, um, you know, John says, I think you're making a terrible mistake. And he goes, the freedom to make my own mistakes is all I ever wanted. And Did it's that ring like, a bell? Well, yes, it does. Reminded you of what, uh, of what Danny said? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, about how, um, you know, the freedom to make your own... I don't remember how exactly she phrased it when she was talking about To make your own choices. Yeah, even if it's to, like, wave away your own freedom, that's your choice to do. It's your choice, yeah. Yeah. Freedom means making your own choices, I believe, were were her words. Nice, yeah. So I wonder how, how she would have gotten along with Mance. Pretty good. I think Mance... It's kind of one of those people that gets along with a lot of people, but yeah. if you're not going to get along with him, then he's just going to fucking kill you. Right. How about this, though? Like, his, his whole group of people that are sort of following him are what? The free folk, you know? Yeah. And Danny's oh, whole group yeah. of people that are following her are folks that she's freed. That's free so folk, true. You know? So they have a, sort of a lot of similarities, thinking that it's important for people to have the freedom to make their own choices and mistakes, even if it's doing something that gets you killed or if it's something that like where you're giving away your rights you know and choosing to be a slave you know totally um, they both yeah they both have very similar values and followings and so it's, it's just kind of cool they've also done things that other people haven't done like mance has united all these tribes danny has freed all these people and united the dothraki and the all these different people from around slavers bay together like That's a mishmash so of of people from you know sword cell sword companies and and ex slaves and other people you know dothraki warriors and everything unsullied it never even occurred to me that they had kind of a parallel story neither did it to, yeah neither had it to me it just kind of hit me right now looking at this quote here from mance saying that the freedom to make my own mistakes was all i ever wanted i because I, I respect that that's something that i would agree with yeah i do too that's awesome so that pretty much wraps up what was that my number four yeah okay and so uh, what is your do you have any notes on this or do you want to move into your number three uh 
We can talk. I'll talk a little bit more about this later, I guess, because my number two is Steadfast Mance. Oh, uh, walking to his death. Yeah, just his whole his you know stubborn attitude in general. You just can't change his mind, you know. Yeah, it's great. My number three is fighting your inner dragons. Okay. And usually, uh, you know, you're fighting your inner demons, but in in Danny's case. It's dragons, because she's a dragon, and she has dragons, and dragons can be used for good or for bad, and if they're not properly controlled, they're basically demons, right? You know, Pretty much, damn. yep. So, it starts off with Hisdar, who really wants to open those freaking fighting pits. What's up with that? Like, he's so obsessed with the fighting pits. I think that, so I labeled, this is actually, I think, a part of my number two, and I labeled my number two concessions. Because he was a diplomat sent to Astapor to kind of negotiate. And one of their kind of, he was, he's kind of the messenger in this situation. Right. Um, it was the Astaporian previous masters that wanted to reopen the fighting pits. Yep. And he's just passing the message along to Danny saying like look this was a success you sending me to Astapor was a success but they have a concession that they want to make with you that they'll do everything you say but they want to reopen the fighting pits and have free men fighting them right I'm wondering if this is really if like if they really care about tradition and stuff or if they think that by you know ceremoniously reopening the fighting pits that it's an opportunity to get Danny in a place that where she can be surrounded by their people cuz when I think that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah, it could be a you know like a setup as well as under under the guise of oh we just want to preserve traditions but they'd know when she shows up at Daznak's pit to like reopen them official officially that they can have people all around. But I don't think his dar thinks that here i think they just approached him as like we'll do what she says this is our concession to do it so he's passing that message along because i'm not really sure that he had a part as far as like trying to kill her i don't feel like he was a part of that yeah on the show it doesn't seem like it because he gets nailed, killed by one of the sons of the harpy right they jab him in this with a gut a spear yeah, and he looks super surprised, and he doesn't really know what's going on, and he agrees to marry her, and I right, mean... Right, so maybe he's just a useful idiot. I think... I don't think he necessarily agrees with everything that she's doing, but he, he also respects her enough to marry her, that she's trying to do some good, that she's you know, she does reopen the fighting pit, she is listening. She shows she restraint, let, doesn't execute him. <laughs> yeah, she let him bury her father, or his father. Right. So... I don't think he's a part of the sons of the harpy the sons of the harpy i think he was truly just passing this message along as a concession but i think you nailed it on the head that the astaporians who kind of are funding the sons of the harpy are doing it so they can get her in that arena mm. and surrounded by the sons of the harpy interesting to kill her. bastards those guys are Ugh. scumbags man yeah big time that poor um, Unsullied. Oh, I know. In this episode, you know, he's he does he's not even going to you know to the the whorehouse for sexual intimacy. He's just going there to like cuddle, to, to feel loved, you know, to get something yeah. that he like some 
you know, some emotional intimacy that he never got to experience. Human touch. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Really fucking brutal. And the way yeah. that his throat is slit while she's like rubbing his head and humming humming to him and everything, it's super disturbing. It's very disturbing. <laughs> you know, and then she gets up and like her attitude is completely different and that guy is just looming over them looking through the mask and you're just oh, like, Oh, I know. I know. And normally a lot of times when you when people on TV like get their throat slit, you know, they they die instantly. It's like super unrealistic, but in this case, the blood's shooting out all over the place and he's lying on his back like <laughs> looking at what's going on and it takes a number of seconds, you know, before he loses consciousness and everything. And that I felt thought felt more realistic. They do that all the time in this show too. Right. Like the people that get their throat slit don't die right away. Mm -hmm. Or, like, get stabbed in the gut. They don't die right away, either. Yeah, and sometimes they even just magically heal, like Arya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, um, yeah, right, concessions. So they make, you know, she's like, I'm not going to fucking open the fighting pits. And then she's sitting there with Dario. Dario. And uh, he, she learns that his mother was a whore and that he gained his current status by being a fighter in the fighting pits um there's some funny little stuff along the way there too when we we're learning this uh so one day when i was 12 she sold me to a slaver she fucked the night before danny's like i'm sorry he's like why i, I was a bad child <laughs> i thought that was kind of funny i can just picture him being like a shit little kid you know oh big time hilarious uh like he doesn't even listen to the queen you know definitely not they listen to his mom no <laughs> breaking uh, into her private quarters yeah, swimming miles to just give her flowers and like flirt with her <laughs> relentlessly yeah so obviously i'm jealous of him in this scene and um yeah so he she, he basically gives her his little story about how uh how he got to the where he is now and I liked his line to her that, um, you're the queen. Everyone's too afraid of you to speak the truth. Everyone but me. And uh, she kind of sort of like, huh. Like at that point starts getting, listening a little more intently and like realizing the perspective of the situation. And he, uh, he basically is telling her like, you need to show your strength immediately. You know, they can't see weakness or they'll attack you're not the mother of unsullied, you're the mother of dragons, you know, and she's trying to suppress her her dragon urges here um, after what happened with the little girl. You know, she says, I don't want another child's bones dropped at my feet. And she's like, is having major PTSD about this whole thing. But honestly, she should have seen this all coming. Uh, does she not know what dragons are or like what they do? You know, I think it's really sad when she goes, I can't control them anymore. Right. Yeah. And that it is really sad. You know, it's like, she's like, I don't know what to do. Like how, <laughs> how do I control them? Yeah. George R. R. Martin recently commented about this, um, saying that they're like information in the new fire and blood book that he released there would be more information about like how the dragons were um, managed by by the Targaryen dynasties before when they actually had thousands of years of experience and techniques and stuff. I'm surprised that they weren't they didn't like that there isn't it's not more documented or that the you know Viserys didn't know more about dragons. I guess I mean they they've been dead for hundreds of years, so there wouldn't be any practical purpose. 
but you'd think that the Targaryens would just be trained in like they would have written it down. Yeah, yeah, methods of like how they managed their dragon pets and whatnot. Maybe they maybe they did and it's just they're like lost homes or they were burned up in that fire in the citadel or something. Maybe, yeah. And like you said, yeah, she can't control them anymore and it's it's similar sort of to the way like if there's like a societal breakdown and like a bottleneck of the population where a lot of people die, um, the people that are remaining wouldn't necessarily have the capability to con- to like use the technology, rebuild the cars and the airplanes and everything like that. Like um, one of the recent episodes of Walking Dead, little Judith is saying, she's got a math problem. If one airplane is going west at 200 miles an hour and another airplane's going east at 400 miles an hour and they start... From, you know, X apart, how long does it take to for them to meet each other? And Negan's like, you ever see an airplane fly? No. <laughs> you think you'll ever will see an airplane fly? Focus on things that are happening now, you know? <laughs> like the, right. <laughs> it's not necessary. Um, so the point is that she's stuck with this, like, this thing that she has no understanding of. And uh, it's not it's not good for anybody. It's just you know a breakdown of the the order of things, and uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate. George said that maybe if she had access to Maester Gildane's book or whatever, whoever wrote Fire and Blood, you know, whichever Maester it was that wrote that, maybe if she had found this tome, you know, it would have helped her a lot in her her dealings in Slaver's Bay and helping raise to raise the dragons and whatnot. So it's too bad that she didn't have that information. Yeah. And I also like in this scene too, when, when I know that you had just talked about this, when Dario says, as you, as soon as they see weakness, they will attack, show your strength here and now. This is the same exact sentiment that Jamie is giving Cersei in this episode as well. Right. Yeah. Good, good catch. Nice parallel. Like we, we cannot show our weakness at this point. Like right. unified front. We have to just keep going. And, you know, the enemies will come and at any any chance of weakness that they see, they're going to capitalize on that. And, you know, to, I think the Lannisters are a little bit further down the rabbit hole with that and the fact that there is clearly a weakness because Tywin's dead. But in this situation, Danny's kind of on the brink of it. She's, Definitely. She's still got the upper hand, but... Dario was warning her, look, if you show any weakness, you're going to get pounced on. And it's the same thing they tell you if you encounter a bear in the wild, too. <laughs> you don't run. You don't, like, cower. You no. You outstretch your arms and make yourself look as huge as you possibly can, you know? Mm-hmm. And don't show oh. any weakness. Yeah. I think I would be eaten. <laughs> <laughs> what is it in uh, in India or Indonesia? I don't care. Maybe I think it's India where they have a problem with wild tigers. Yeah, they'll like wear masks on the back of their heads because uh, tigers will they don't attack from the front generally. Like if they see your face, they won't attack. It's the same type of thing. Like you turn your back, you show weakness, they'll get you. So they wear masks on the back of their heads to try to um, repel tigers. That's Tiger creepy. repellent masks. Fuck yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. So she is still freaking out about Zala, I think the little girl's name is, right? 
Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she should have seen it coming. It's it's tragic. She didn't doesn't have all the info. Doesn't know how to control them. But uh, she, you know, kind of set herself up for this. So uh, this is also a thing. She's like, no one's seen Drogon in weeks. For all I know, he's flown halfway across the world. Spin-off show idea! You know, Dro- <laughs> Drogon's adventures, just him flying around, just <laughs> destroying everything and everyone in his path. Yes. Yes, the ultimate spin-off. I am so excited for, we'll talk about it in detail when they, um, when Tyrion and Jorah are rowing through Valyria. Oh, yeah, so that cool, That is man. one of my favorite scenes in the series. Yeah, so in, on Drogon's adventures, we could see that from Drogon's perspective. You yes, know? please. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited to talk about that scene. Yeah, me too. I love that scene. So cool. Okay, cool. I got some so, cool art of that scene, too. It'll be up yeah. in the studio when we start broadcasting. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, so let's not spoil it on this episode because I have a lot to talk about with that scene. All right. <laughs> I haven't even watched it yet, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> bullet points. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. So basically, at this point, D- Danny knows she needs to do something. She's being told to be a dragon, you know, and that's like one of her constant battles is... Like, even, um, remember in season six, I think it is, or seven, when, yeah, it must be season seven, she's on Dragonstone. Elena, yeah, and yep. she's meeting with the Queen of Thorns, and the Queen of be Thorns a is dragon. Like, be a dragon. That's basically what Dario is saying here. A dragon queen with no dragons is not a queen, you know? She's not the Queen of Unsullied, she's the Queen of Dragons. Be a dragon. So this is uh, another identity crisis. We have aria trying to figure out who she is is she no one is she someone is she squab is she airy you know you got reek and theon and that whole identity crisis and then this is sort of like a different identity crisis that danny is going through trying to figure out how she can be a targaryen but not be an evil bastard basically yeah and be a dragon be a dragon yeah so she needs to do something and she decides to go see Viserion and Rhaegal. And it's so fucking creepy as she descends into the darkness of this abyss, this crypt, you know, the catacombs. And uh, I love the boulder like rolling out of the way and just stepping she has a torch down in her into hand. the darkness. She doesn't even have a torch in her hand. When she goes down there, she's got nothing. She's oh, just walking right. Right, right into the darkness. That's and right. uh, it's there's Tyrion a, that has the torch. Yeah, <laughs> and that's it's beautiful. She just walks into the darkness, and it cuts to a shot from in front of her, and you see the one of the chains lying on the ground, and link by link, it starts pulling over to towards the right, and one link at a time is being moved, and it's just a really really cool shot, really creative, and then she's walking along Viserion, Rhaegal, and all of a sudden. One of them shoots fire and the other one snaps right at her face. And it scares the shit out of me every time it yeah, happens. God like, I damn. know it's coming, but I always jump every time. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. I forgot kind of how it played out. So I was like, damn, what happens here? You know, and then all of a sudden it lights up and <laughs> jaws right by the face. And she freaks out by this. You know, she's yeah. like, what She's the showing fuck? weakness here. Yeah, showing <laughs> massive amounts of weakness. Just like we were talking about a second ago. A great connection. And so she starts backing up and retreating and they're not like shooting flames right at her, you know, but they're making it known that they're fucking pissed. They're so mad. You know, Dem yep. dragons is mad. They're like, why the fuck did you leave us here? Mom, it's dark, you know, and there's not enough sheeps. 
and, st- and stuff, you know. They can't even hardly stretch their wings or anything. Right. Got these heavy ass chains on their necks. And uh, they grow as a result of this. I don't know if the show really makes it explicitly known, but Drogon gets way bigger than Viserion and Rhaegal. Their growth is sort of like stunted by living because, in, in this chamber. Yeah, and Danny even echoes the sentiment in season seven when they're in... Um, yeah, they're ta- at the dragon pit. They're talking about... At the about dragon pit, the, the and dome. she goes, this was the beginning of the end for my family... We locked them up in here, and they kind of just like dwindled away. Basically, right. it's a great parallel to this scene. She learns from experience. Yeah, like the downfall. This is this is exactly yeah. what I did to my dragons, and that's why the two of them are smaller, and they just don't. I mean, they're not meant to be mm-hmm. caged up or locked I mean, away. Dr- Drogon was always a little bigger than the other two. Like he was the alpha. Mm-hmm. You know, the and they were like not the runts, but they weren't as big as Drogon. But this really exaggerated their differences. Yeah, so I think it's a nice little parallel that she mentions yes. that when they're in the dragon pit that Yep. This is why they died. We yeah, locked really them good away. Parallel. They just got smaller and smaller as the generations went. And yeah. uh, until the tiniest little one was so tiny. Super teeny tiny. <laughs> Yep. So she freaks out and gets the hell out of there, and uh, that pretty much wraps up my number three. Fighting awesome. with your inner dragons is all she's ever known. Okay. So am I on my number three? Yes. Okay. So my number three, I labeled near misses. Nice. And this talks about kind of Brienne and Pod. There's, you know, kind of out They're hundreds of miles from King's Landing. No one knows what you look like. No one cares. <laughs> Basically, get lost, Pod. Brianna's done with you. <laughs> right, yeah. You're not even a squire. Because I'm not yeah, a knight. You can't be a squire. Yeah, I'm not a knight, which means you're not a squire. And then he's like, where would I go? And she goes, I don't care. I'm, yeah, not, I'm not your, your mother. mother. She's being brutal. <laughs> God damn. I think she's sulking a little bit here. Yeah, she's upset about losing Arya and failing yeah, her mission. Yeah, I I swore you, you know, Arya didn't want to go with me, basically. You mm-hmm. know, she doesn't want my protection. And she goes into, you know, a really interesting sentiment that the good lords are dead and the rest are monsters. Yeah, I love that line. Yeah, it, it's... um. She doesn't think she's a leader either, which is kind of sad. I was trying to think, you know, because... This is like well before she knows that Daenerys Targaryen is a player. This is well before Jon Snow is a player. Mm-hmm. So really the sentiment is kind of true right now in in this part of the series is Yeah, that's true. All the good lords kind of are gone and the rest are monsters at this moment in time. It changes. And so I call this near misses because in this scene I love how the camera angle as Sansa and Littlefinger pass, the camera shoots out the window and we see Brienne and Pod Mm. out the window. And I thought that this was kind of telling of Brienne and Pod's journey because they're always just kind of nearly missing the Stark girls. Yeah, like ships in the night. 
and they they do in- interact with each of the start girls on the way to kind of right being with them at Winterfell, just but very briefly in both cases. I I just loved the cinematography of she's sulking about the start girls. You know, Arya doesn't want her help. They and can't find Sansa, right by. <laughs> and literally, <laughs> Sansa just goes right by her in a wagon. <laughs> so so um, funny. Yeah, and just to continue kind of this scene, because um, now we're in the wagon, you know, Sansa figures out that Littlefinger lied to Lord Royce, and we kind of touched upon this, that they're going west and not to the fingers. Yeah. And this is a lesson, again, you know, kind of the teacher and the student parallel that I've brought up before. this is a good lesson for Sansa that Lord Royce may be honorable, but all the other lords and the ladies in the Vale may not be so trustworthy. I think this is where Sansa learns how to throw off Littlefinger when she's back up at Winterfell with Arya in season seven, because they act like they're against each other oh. because they know Littlefinger's watching and really they're playing him. And it it inevitably kills him because she threw him off so well, which is exactly what she learns in this scene is to throw people off. Good cat. Good call. Yeah, that's awesome. And the fact that they're on their way to Winterfell, I found that kind of telling as well. The uh, it's funny that they say that they're not going to the fingers also because in the books they do go to the fingers. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like it's like a. Uh, it's like mentioning it's like a little hint to the uh, to the some of the audience that like hey, we're changing it up a little you know oh, we're, not, yeah. we're not going to the fingers because doesn't Jane Jane Poole marry Ramsey yeah totally different in the books yeah okay that's right yeah I think that before they go to the Vale they stop at the fingers like they they leave on ship from King's Landing go to the fingers stay there for a few like weeks or something at little fingers childhood home or something like that got it and then he's communicating with with uh, lisa and they end up going to the veil yeah so this is kind of the end of my um number three so right. do you have anything else you want to add uh no that pretty much covers it okay cool what's your number two my number two is just Mance's whole steadfast attitude and how he's he's thought a lot about his philosophy and he's not willing to betray it for anything. And he uh, the way he goes out is super hardcore. He Ugh, holds it, you know, sticks to his guns. He's just about to start like kind of freaking out uh, when John puts the arrow in him. But remember in uh, at the before the Battle of Hard Home. When John is speaking to the elders of like all the uh, the wildlings and everything, and and they're like, "Well, yeah, well, how did Mance Raider die? This is fucked up." And he's like, "Well, and, you know, he's like, I killed him, you know. <laughs> what the fuck? Now freak out, put an arrow through his heart, you know. It's like, come on, John, you you got to tell people like the context, otherwise it sounds really fucked up." But uh, Tormund sticks up to him. His arrow was mercy. Yes, <laughs> fucking great line. It's kind of the same way that Brienne doesn't really divulge to Arya that um, Oathkeeper was given to her kind of under yeah. different circumstances. John kind of does the same thing. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, He's like, I killed him. <laughs> they never want characters to like communicate too well because then the story would just flow too. You know, things would work out too well. And the story would be less interesting, right? So they keep information compartmentalized to some degree and everything like that. Uh, yes. It's kind of funny though when John is meeting with with uh, Stannis and Davos. And Stannis is like basically tell him I want him to bend his knee, I want the free folk to fight for us, and they sort of tested the waters before divulging that information to John by Davos saying, that, you know, some people, some people like you, and he's like, yeah, the, the Night's Watch are good men, and he's, some people don't like you. Also, you know, they say you're <laughs> you're too close to the wildlings, and he's yeah, and so then after that they basically say well we want to make the wildlings close to to the seven kingdoms anyway so obviously since you're kind of in with them we want you to talk to mance basically yeah but if they swear uh, to follow me I'll, I'll pardon them we'll take right. winterfell and once the north is won i'll declare them citizens of the realm yeah so this is something that's good about stance too he recognizes them as humans you know that they're yeah. they're part of the realms of men and so this is sort of an area that he and John can philosophically connect at where they both, you know, want to just kind of help the wildlings and treat them like humans. Like Stannis is, sees them as outlaws currently, but is giving them the opportunity to redeem themselves by committing themselves to the laws of the kingdoms and stepping back within the law, essentially, because that's what Stannis is all about, right? Yeah, and I mean, when Davos does say, like you just said, um, you have too much affection for the wildlings, John makes a really good point here. He says they were born on the wrong side of the wall. It doesn't make them monsters. Right. Which is basically exactly. why they built the wall. It's not to keep the wildlings out. It's to keep the dead out. Um, and, you know, they make a point. It's like, don't you want to go back to Winterfell? Tywin is dead. He can't protect the Boltons. Um, and Stannis is honest with him here. He says, I need more men. Um, I'm talking about the wildlings. And right. so... And John's like, what? What Whoa. the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, like a funny little moment. Yeah, he's like, I don't need the Night's Watch. I need the wildlings. And yes, he does, because they're amazing fighters. But I love when after he says, you know... I'll declare them citizens of the realm. He'll say, um, I'll give them land to live on. I'll offer them their lives and their freedom if Mance kneels before me and swears his right. loyalty. And I think Stannis's idea of freedom is way different than Mance's, yeah, than Mance's idea, idea totally. of freedom. <laughs> totally, yeah. Because they're already free. Right, Mance's <laughs> idea of freedom is that every man is a sovereign. Right. Yes. With the ultimate freedom. Whereas Stannis's idea of freedom is that there's one sovereign, which is the king, and that, you know, everybody else can kind of do what they want as long as they don't fuck with the king's laws, essentially. And Stannis even echoes what Mance says. He says, I respect him. He yeah. so they respect each other. Right. They yeah, they both know that they're men of, you know, moral character, moral fiber. Yeah, it's interesting. The same thing, kind of like you were saying, how how um, Mance is willing to recognize that where he sees it. Same thing with Stannis, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I liked how Stannis is appealing to John here 
and he's trying to get him to do what he wants, but he's also giving him good reasons to be on his side. He's like, he's like Tywin is Lannister's dead, you know? He can't protect these bastards in the north now. He's like, I'm going to fucking mount Roose Bolton's head on a spike and take back Winterfell. And later on, he even tells him, like, you can be the lord of Winterfell. All you got to do is, like, what he's trying to get Stannis to do, or uh, Mance to do, right, is kneel, basically. Yes, absolutely. And John won't bend the knee either. He's, he has spent too much time with the free folk. He's one of them now. You know, like like um, <laughs> Tormund said. Yeah, but you know what I find interesting is is John does kneel in front of Stannis at the top of the wall. Oh. Well, yeah, I guess like they, the Night's Watch is sort of still subservient to the king they just don't take part in like politics and battles you know what i mean yeah that makes sense that they would because i I thought about that too like why because john says i don't have a king at some point earlier either in this episode or the last episode uh, to torment yeah right after Um, like you've spent too much time with us or something that's what resulted in him saying that i think but I think the king also is a huge part of the Night's Watch and the fact that they are, the king gives them access to the dungeons and allows them to recruit men right. for the Night's Watch. So there's some type of, you know, respect and understanding that, like, we're still, we still have to respect the king. Yeah. It's definitely like a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah. For sure. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like Stannis's ideas here. Um, at least he's given him a way to earn what he considers to be freedom. Um, but you know, Mance is steadfast in his dedication to his idea of freedom, and, which I also respect. The, uh, there's there's some there's you know there's good things about all these characters in their own ways, which are in- really interesting. Yes. Um. So we also, it's just cool to find out that Stannis is really dedicating his uh, his forces to the northern cause and to repel um, the forces starting in the north, which is interesting. Like, he's got this whole strategy which is starting to develop at this point, which all results from Davos reading that one fucking scroll. Thanks, Shireen, you know? <laughs> right. You know? The North owes a great debt of gratitude to Shireen Baratheon. So funny. Absolutely. So, uh, Stannis tells John, like, convince him to bend the knee. And John's like, how much time do I have? He's like, nightfall, and the sun drops fast this time of year. Hurry, John Snow. It's like, god damn, that's no fucking time at all. Damn it, Stannis. (laughs) Stannis the manis. So so hilarious. He's always saying funny ass shit. It's like not meant to be a joke. You know, the sun drops fastest time of year. Hurry, John Snow. Yes. So funny. Love Stannis. So then, uh, yeah, the manis, totally. So so uh, Mance is like not stoked about getting burned alive. And Melisandre is all super hardcore you know, free folk, there is only one true king, and his name is Stannis. She's Here crazy in your this. king of lies. Yeah, she's just like such a cult leader, you know? Such a cult leader. And um, 
It's never easy watching people burn on this show, you know, except for Miri yeah. Mazder. That was kind of enjoyable. Yeah, sort it of. was. <laughs> you will not hear me scream, you know, Daenerys. <laughs> I remember when I when we did that episode, I cut this, I cut the uh, the intro as her starting to be burned alive, and right in the middle of her scream, it was like ah. I remember that. Like, that was good. It was a very strategic audio cut on my on my part there. I yeah. thought that was funny. So uh, Melisandre is going all crazy, and she sets fire to the pyre to burn the the king liar. Uh, well, yeah. So just to back up really quickly before we get into that part, so Stannis tells him to kneel and live. Right, and, yeah, that was a really good line, too. Neil and um, Liv loved that. And then Mance looks at the wildlings, and then at John, and he, and he pauses, and what does he say? I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Right, yes. And so I thought I had to stop you because we were talking about that that's said multiple times, and this is, again, this is word for word, if I'm not mistaken, what Sir the Arthur Dane says to Ned. Yeah, word for word. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we really were just making that moment. kind of connection with Mance and Ned, so I wanted to pause and just make sure that we talked about that, because I felt that yeah, was really important good. to the scene. I totally just accidentally skipped, skipped over okay. that. Good <laughs> call. Okay. Um Melisandre's last line is really creepy. You know, here stands your king of lies. Behold the fate of those who choose the darkness. You know, just really fucking creepy. So Mance is pretty good here. You know, he he holds off screaming for the most part. He's just starting to like, oh, oh, you know. And uh, so then the flames are starting to lick his legs and stuff, and he starts to get more agitated, and you can tell he's about to start screaming like Miri Mazdur, and John is just not having it. He's like, "This is fucked up." He's disgusted. Yeah, he's 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 got too much respect for for Mance to see him go down like this, and um, he he storms off, and Ollie's like, "What the fuck is he doing?" You know, he knocks Ollie out of the way. Right, too. he's like, "Get out of the way, bitch." And uh, goes and grabs the bow, and Mance is like, his head is starting to jerk back, and all of a sudden, boom, right in the heart. And he has time to, uh, another realistic moment where, like, a lot of times on shows or whatever movies, people will get hit in the heart and just instantly die, you know? And he has time to sort of look down at the arrow and then look at John before passing out, uh, which I thought was a really good moment that they got to have that last little bit of eye contact and he's just like, thank you, John, you know, and he's like, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, and through this scene, too, they they cut from Mance several times over to Shireen through the yes. flames. Yeah, really eerie. And it foreshadows because she's the next one to yeah, get burned. Yeah, super, super sadly. Yeah. Yeah. She, clo- she even closes her eyes at yeah, one she's point. Like, like, yeah. Um, so Mance handles this all pretty well, relatively speaking, whereas things play out very similarly, but also very differently on the books in the books, like read it to find out. Yeah. (laughs) I will say that the, in the, in the books, Mance comes out screaming and freaking out. I'm not the king of the North, etc. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so read to figure out what the deal is with that because it is pretty, pretty interesting. 
Easy. So yeah, that that pretty much wraps up my number uh, two is steadfast Mance going down, guns a blazing. I mean, not you know he's not fighting, but he's you know sticking to his values and uh, pretty just pretty good good stuff. I like that. I like Mance. It's too bad uh, we don't get to see him again. Yeah, he's a good character. He's another one that burns kind of brightly on this show um, and gets a lot of love really fast from yep. the fans. If you want more of Kieran Hines, check out Rome. Another, uh, I think it's another HBO show. Oh, yeah, show. he is in Rome, he huh? He plays Julius Caesar. That's right. Yeah, pretty great. Pretty great. So what's your number two? My number two was Concessions. Oh, right. And I think... We covered that pretty well. The only the only other note that I wanted to make about this scene is when Hisdar is kind of updating Danny on his his travels to Astapor. Um he starts talking about like the politics of it and Danny stops him. She goes, I'm not a politician. I am a queen. <laughs> and Barristan, I love Barristan. He kind of like, <laughs> like laughs. He like chuckles at that. <laughs> Cause it's like, you kind of have to be both, honey. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Barristan's great. Um, and then, um, you know, they ask about reopening the fighting pits and Danny is like, how many times do I have to say no before you get <laughs> it? You dense fuck. Right. And, um, he said free men would fight free men. And when he says that, Dario starts tiddling his knife his and ladies. stares at Danny. Yeah. And Danny kind of looks back at him and she's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great little moment. He pulls out one of his ladies and starts like rubbing her. Yeah, so yeah. Funny. So those are the only two other little funny notes that I had for um for that scene. Concessions, gotcha. Yeah. So we can actually just move right into your numero uno all right my number one is cersei the woods witch and self-fulfilling prophecy yes okay i'm excited to talk about this yeah this is always just a fun scene our first major flashback and we're it's young cersei and friend i can't remember her name but man this girl playing cersei really gets a lot of cersei's subtleties and everything completely yeah and not so subtleties as well down in her performance. I have that in my notes that they have they did a great younger Cersei. They they cast her perfectly. Yeah, and that sh that transition when it, we finally realize exactly who it is, you know, and it it cuts from young Cersei to modern day Cersei. The 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 look on their faces, their posture is just dead on from one inch another that transition did you feels so natural figure it out when you first watched it or read it that that was cersei yes i had um i had listened to the audiobooks um because basically i got caught up with the show at the end of season four mountain and the viper was the first episode i watched live i had watched the show before reading the books and then after season four finished i just like needed more basically and so during the the off season between season four and five i listened to all the audiobooks and a shit ton of podcasts and stuff like that and so by the time season five rolled around and we get this first scene immediately i was like oh young cersei like i just fucking knew it instantly yeah you know? i i when she said um 
and I'll gouge your boring eyes out yep. is when I was like, that's Cersei. It's fucking Cersei. <laughs> it has to be Cersei. <laughs> yeah, she's, even in youth, just such a fucking bitch, man. Just the and worst. And the scenery of the scene is so gorgeous. The woods that they're walking through, it's yep. so eerie and mysterious and magical. Yeah, really, really cool. And, uh, oh yeah, she's just so awful. She's like telling the other girl like you don't need to be afraid of my father and i'm like yes you do he's fucking tywin lannister yeah you need to be afraid of him and then when she goes into the tent and uh the the, the woman is like sleeping and the her friend backs up and startles something and freaks out and the the woods witch wakes up i know you're a witch and you can see the future tell me mine and I love the Woods Witch's response. Everyone wants to know their future until they know their future. You yeah. know, and then it's like, no, you don't want to know. It's better to be mystery, you know, uh, which is funny, poignant little line. And Cersei, of course, this is my father's land, my land, you know. And I'm like, oh my god, like you're, so, yes, you know, yes. Like just so fucking just horrid. Tell me my future, or I'll have your two boring eyes gouged out of your head. <laughs> And of course, she's got to drink her blood. That was great. Yeah, I love that she says that line, though. Everyone wants to know their future until they know their future. Yeah. Because being that this is a flashback uh. and Cersei has kind of allowed this prophecy to play out, it's actually to her own undoing. And I wonder, I mean, this is total speculation, that if she never knew her future, would it play out this way? Yeah, that's... It's almost yeah. like she kind of got it in her mind that this was going to happen. Yeah, it's sort of like the Hodor time loop where, like... Yeah. You know, like, if if Bran hadn't connected with Hodor in the past and hurt him and given him a glimpse of his future, would any of that have happened at all? Same thing here, like, if Cersei had never been told this prophecy, would it have self-fulfilled and would it have played out the way that it had, did maybe some of it would have but i i maybe think that she wouldn't you know hate marjorie as much as she does right i think that this freaked her out so much that everything that she ever did basically after this was in relation to preventing this horror of horrifying prophecy from occurring and in in the process, she basically caused every aspect of it to occur by her the way she alienates herself from potential competition, the way that you know, like just everything that happened, like is totally. result of her actions. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too. I wrote down in my notes that Maggie needed her blood, and I thought about like blood magic and how that's right. kind of just appeared. It's appeared. It always has bad consequences. Yeah, it's appeared with the Dothraki and the Magi. It's appeared yeah. with Malisandra and terrified like, the the Dothraki, and then terrified Davos with the the shadow demon baby. Yeah, people don't trust it. Blood magic is all around this world, and it's used for kind of different religions and different stuff. But I think it all kind of ties to the same magical aspect the show has, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's There are theories that Sansa may have accidentally performed blood magic on, on one or two occasions. Oh, really? Yeah, which uh, are pretty cool. I'll try to find them on Reddit or something and link to them on, on 
Facebook because I wouldn't from memory right now I wouldn't be able to accurately uh, describe sure. it unfortunately but sure. yeah it's really worth looking into I'll, I'll post something about it for sure awesome um so so she tr takes a taste of the blood but first Cersei slices right down the middle of her thumb and I'm like why, the, why would you do that your thumb has like a huge artery in it like if you're gonna cut one of your fingers you don't want to cut the thumb no like your pinky yeah yeah totally so any finger other than the thumb and she slices it right down the middle and I'm like this bitch is crazy and uh the the um of course she has to speak like Yoda three questions you get you know <laughs> <laughs> sort of playing with the syntax I thought that sentence too, syntax the the Yoda. Yeah. Yes, not you get three questions. The answer she will not like. <laughs> yeah. Um, she doesn't. Not like the answers you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> like the answers you won't. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking great. So, yeah, just kind of funny little prose that she uses there and uh, some weird questions, you know. I've been promised to the prince. When will we marry? Never marry the prince, but you will wed the king. But I'll be queen. Oh yes, for a time. You know, then comes another younger, more beautiful, to cast you down and take all you hold dear. And she's starting to get a little nervous, and she sort of stutters. Will, will the king and I have children? No. The king will have twenty children, and you will have three. And she's like, "What the fuck? This doesn't what? make any sense." <laughs> and then the creepiest part of the TV prophecy: gold will be their crowns. Gold, their shrouds. And uh, when Joffrey dies, I think that it triggered this prophecy, um, which may have been lying dormant for some time. But I think that this sort of reinvigorates this paranoia in Cersei's mind, and she starts really acting out to try to prevent the, prof the rest of the prophecy from occurring. Because she's got three blonde kids... She, now she's scared all three of them are going to die. And she becomes really overprotective of Tommen and sends Jamie over to try to, you know, save Marcella. And Marcella ends up getting killed. She basically, like, you know what I'm saying? God damn it. I do. I absolutely do. I also find it interesting, too, because both Joffrey and Tommen die with cold, gold crowns on their head, physically on their head. Ooh. Um, and I can't remember... I feel like Marcella was wearing a tiara, but I'm not 100% sure. Oh, she might have been wearing a tiara in a different scene, and I'm just like juxtaposing, <laughs> <laughs> whatever that word is, juxtaposing her in that moment into the scene where she dies. <laughs> but I feel like she's wearing something on her head. Um, some type of headpiece, whether it's a, a tiara or a, a headband of some sort or a flower in her right. hair or something. But So it could I easily be like a literal crown in all three cases, or it could symbolically represent like their like their hair color. You their, know, their blonde their hair. Yeah. Golden Lannister hair, where it's like Targaryen hair is more silvery. Lannister hair is more golden. Yes. Um, and then the other thing, gold will be their shrouds. This represent this means like funeral sh shrouds, but yep. uh, in their cases, they all died as Baratheons with the largely gold sigil, the gold field with the black stag. 
That's right. So um, their shrouds could be golden. So gold will be their crowns, as in they're all really Lannisters, but gold will be their shrouds, as in they were all Baratheon by name. Absolutely. So that pretty much wraps up my number one. What about yours? Anything or anything else you want to add about Maggie the Frog? No, she's creepy. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I guess we can add that there are more lines of prophecy that we don't get on the show that you can get by reading the books. Um, things that may be important and that may have been too immediately or obviously foreshadowing that they may have left out to keep surprises for things that happen in the story and the TV show, uh, for instance. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So definitely read the books, like we always say, because there's so much more cool stuff going on. And it just adds so much to the experience. It does. Even like the little bit I've read, it's, you know, it does enhance it. Definitely. Definitely. I can't wait to hear more from you when you get further in. Maybe we can like start covering the books or something at some point. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So what's your number one? My number one is um, Varys and Tyrion. And I know we covered them a little a bit, little bit. About t- talking about Danny. Um, but I want to go back to the montage of glances through the holes of the crate. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of gave me that same vibe, not as disgustingly as Sam's montage. Oh, right. But just like the quick flashes, you can kind of hear him breathing in the background. And then um, Varys with his crate fetish. Yeah. Um, un- unsnaps him and... <laughs> He just rolls out of this crate and he Wasted. looks like shit. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any idea what it's like to stuff your shit through one of those air holes? <laughs> no, I only know what it's like to pick up your shit and throw <laughs> it overboard. <laughs> oh my god, so funny. Yeah, and I, I going back to Varys' uh, crate fetish, <laughs> when he finally kind of gets his balance Varys has a funny smirk on his face and he goes, apologies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually the first uh, first line of that scene. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Tyrion's complaining about, like, why did I have to stay in the crate this entire time? And he it's goes, I saved crate. your life. If they catch you, they catch me. I cannot say I feel overly guilty about leaving you in that fucking crate. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. Yep. So they kind of banter back and forth. Tyrion looks around. He figures out that they are in Pentos. Um, we realize that Tyrion they is are... sick. Like, he's so smart, man. Yeah. And it actually took me like the second or third time to remember that we met Danny in Pentos. Right. Yep. With Illyrio Mopatis. So this totally blew by me the first couple of times I watched this. I was like, Pento, so this is like a new city. I wonder like where this is. And Illyrio Mopatis, when they said that, it, it did not ring a bell to me until like the second or third time. Yeah, he's but very like, we. he's used so sparingly that we never really like, 
you know, get a feel for him. It's not like so memorable that we'd be like, oh, Illyrio Mopatis five years later. No, he's only had like two or three scenes. But while they're, you know, important looking back on in the moment, they were just kind of like, who's this dude with the weird beard? Right. Isn't that amazing how in retrospect, certain things can be so important that seem so like innocuous at the time. The show has all of that in it for sure. Yeah. Um, but we we come to find a lot of really interesting information in this scene that from the beginning of this series, we find that a group of people saw Robert Baratheon as the disaster that he was. Yep. And that Varys unveils that he, from the beginning of this series, has supported a Targaryen, a Targaryen rest- restoration. Yes. Yeah, I just have written in my notes, Varys tells all. Like, goddamn, he just discloses everything to Tyrion here. Yes, and that wow. Westeros needs to be saved from itself. And Tyrion is not listening to any of this. <laughs> yeah. He's so hungover. Yeah, he's just like, oh. and he's just like, shut the fuck up. Wine. And Bring me wine. He said something like, Varys said something about my lord. And he goes, Are you a lord if you kill your father? Yeah, my lord. I don't think I am anymore. A lord. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a lord if you kill your father? I was like, yeah, interesting question. I don't imagine they'll revoke my nobility for killing a whore. I'm sure it happens all the time. (laughs) Yeah, great line. Yeah, and so now he's kind of like, you know, he's drinking in between what he's talking about, and he goes, the future is shit, just like the past, and then he vomits all over the place. It looks like a real vomiting. Like, it, it was like, it's not like when, you know, an actor is vomiting and they have a little liquid in their mouth and it all spills out in one no, gush. No, that was like vomit. I'm yeah. pretty sure he like threw up. Yeah, for I sure. was yeah, I was wondering if that was method acting if they gave him like epicac or something and made him or just vomit. like stuck it cuz he drank a lot of liquid up, you know, just kind of like, you know, people can stick their finger down their throat and yeah. like throw up pretty fast. A lot of water with purple dye in it. Or he was actually drinking wine and just actually physically vomited because he looked like shit rolling out of that crate. That's true. Maybe it was (laughs) method acting all the way. Drunken Dinklage. Who knows? But yeah, so I just, I had to have that scene as my kind of number one because I felt it was really important to the trajectory of the story. Because we find out that Varys, like while he's been on the small council this whole time, He's been supporting Danny, like secretly with Illyrio, which we kind of get a twinge when Arya is hiding in the the dungeons in the in the head, Valerian's head, right? Because they're talking about, but it's such in code at that point, and it's so early on in the series that you don't really pick up on on that's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. For the most part, that they're trying to get her back into power. So I had to have this as my number one because it shows that Varys has supported Danny secretly from the beginning. And, you know, now he's with her in season, going into season eight. So important. Yeah, this is, yeah, like, yeah it's crazy, man. He divulges yeah. everything to Tyrion here. It's nuts. Everything, for yeah. sure. So there's some other funny stuff, too. Like like we talked about the how they're trading barbs back and forth. Eunuch, spider, spider, master of whispers, imp, half man. There are faster <laughs> ways to kill yourself, not for a coward. And uh, he, he he's like, "Why the fuck did you free me? You didn't have to do that shit." 
And you could have said no when my brother asked you, right? And he's like, refuse the Kingslayer. A, a dangerous proposition, you know, which is kind of a funny line. And that's, yeah, that's when he goes into explaining that he did it for the kingdoms and everything. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Crazy, crazy scene. So that's it for my number one, unless you have anything else you want to add. Uh, it's funny how Tyrion said, a drunken dwarf will never be the savior of the Seven Kingdoms. <laughs> and uh, I liked how... how um, there's another funny like back and forth where uh he's like what would you do you know if you were on the throne would you you wouldn't terrorize people and he's like no it's like i think that you have you'd be good for this you have your in, your father's instinct instincts for politics and you have compassion and he's like compassion i killed my lover with my bare hands and shot my own father with a crossbow and varies <laughs> his reply i never said you were perfect <laughs> <laughs> not even close yeah, hilarious. Yeah. That does great. Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for that scene, I think, too. All right, let's uh, jump into n notes. Got anything else you want to bring up? I do. I actually have about a page of notes left, to nice. be honest. Um, so since I'm just going to start, I think the next note that I have that's kind of in sequential order of the episode is down comes the harpy yep that's where i'm at too okay cool yeah and so it gave me like this eerie like look into history of what it would be like to work on the great pyramids in egypt oh nice. kind of like the equipment that they may have used like the wood paneling um to slide the microwave that. levitation yeah they, <laughs> <laughs> just those like big sheets of I, I guess it's like wood or material for the harpy to slide down on but she kind of goes crazy it like the harpy kind of starts going crazy and she just kind of starts falling tumbling and one of the wings gets all bent up yeah and i mean it's very symbolic for many reasons to tear down the harpy especially mm. when this is the episode that we meet the sons of the harpy Yep. And um, the guy that is killed in the brothel is the one that the face kind of comes crashing down, like right next to when he goes over and looks at it and he gives it just this little smile. Yep. We learn his name is White Rat. White Rat. And he's Rat. pretty muscular for a eunuch. Yes, he is. <laughs> and I found it very symbolic that the statue falls. He looks at the statue's face and smiles as kind of like a small victory. Mm -hmm. And then the harpy kills him with the same face that was he was smiling at earlier. Oh, shit. Yeah. So the, I just thought that that was kind of crazy irony. Damn. What, what do you mean the same face? Well, the harpy masks resembled the harpy that fell off the, oh, the pyramid. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. It wasn't like the exact same face, but it was, you know, a bronze or a gold or right, whatever. A reflection of it, you could say. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't identical, but it certainly was the harpy's face. Nice. Just in, in a mask form versus a statue. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good, too. Yeah. 
the, I thought the uh, the special effects work was really good with the uh, the throat slitting. Yeah. Like and the blood splattering. Yeah, I mean they showed that knife cutting right through the the skin, and it didn't look it, like it was not overtly. It didn't stick out a lot like a prosthetic would you as you'd expect. It looked really good. It looked really really good. I was impressed. Yeah. Very impressed by that. So that was cool. That was super creepy. Um, I liked one of the metaphors that Danny was using about how um, how to instigate the sons of the harpy to reveal themselves. Basically, they're debating the tactics of what to do, and she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna send a message. Basically, I want to bury them publicly with honor." Yes. And the, the the sons of harpies will freak out basically, and she's it'll make them very angry. You know that that other guy who she ends up beheading is kind of like worried about this, and she says, "Angry snakes lash out." Yes, I chopping love that. off their heads much that much easier. Oh, such a great line. And even the guy who was like nervous about it smiled at at that line because that was pretty fucking cool. Yes, thug life moment. <laughs> Da 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 da. It's the motherfucking Dio Double G. Snoop Dogg. <laughs> oh um, man. Yeah. So Reliving like my elementary, middle school days. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I found it interesting too that Masande is very yes. curious why they venture into brothels. She's basically hoping that he's going to say, "Oh, we still have dicks," you know. And he goes, "I don't know." I must go. Yeah, <laughs> like, <"Ooh."> awkward. <laughs> yeah, so brutal. She's like, well, why? I've heard that, you know, more than one Unsullied has been known to visit Marine's brothels. May I ask you why? And she's just she's like, no. hoping that there's something down there. Where's the river to hide under? Or yeah. In, in, <laughs> yeah. To duck into? <laughs> totally. Nope. <laughs> Nothing down nope. there. Nope. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. There's no reason that they could possibly be going there, aside from you know what he actually did go there for, just to cuddle a little bit. And yeah, it was like uh, yeah, it was like the like she was like being like a mother figure almost to him, you know, like nurturing and everything like that. Yeah. Man, it's crazy. Yeah, it was, was so bad. Brutal. Bad news. Super bad news. Moving on. Sure. John whooping Ollie in the training yard, yep. which is funny. He says to he's giving him advice, and he tells him to keep his shield up, or he'll ring his head like a bell. And I believe that this comes from one of John's memories of of learning to fight with Rob and Ned teaching them. And it's this is one something of Brand's that, flashbacks with the three eyed raven. Nice. And I believe it's Brandon Stark teaching. Oh, teaching Ned. Um, Ned how to hold up his shield and it's Brandon Stark that says keep your shield up or I'll ring your head like a bell. Nice yeah because then Ned definitely says this to his kids too when he's yep. training them. Um, yep. So I love it how it's just like a, an old Stark phrase basically that's being passed down and now it's being taught to young Ollie and the, the Night's Watchman. And As, we see Ghost in this scene. Oh nice. He's eating a bone. <laughs> Ghost is the man. Yeah, he's laying down while they're they're fighting, kind of in like the lower right hand corner of the screen, chewing on a bone. 
Gotta love Ghost, man. I'm looking forward to plenty of Ghost action this upcoming season. Oh, please, HBO. Blow Fuck, yeah. blow the budget. Yes. <laughs> blow the budget. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah. So uh, it cuts to Sam, who's being fucking hilarious. He's talking himself up. You know, and was it Gilly's like, shouldn't you be training too? And he's like, well, you know, I'm hardly a new recruit. I mean, how many brothers can say that they've killed a White Walker and a Then? You know, I, mean, I'm, I might be the first in history. I know, he's totally like boasting about it. Yeah, so <laughs> fucking funny. Showing off for his girl, talking himself up. And uh, I'm surprised <laughs> that Alistair and Janice, as they're walking around, I'm surprised they're like, not like, Charlie, get away from that woman. You know, we know what you're doing. Yeah, and they go, poachers, thieves, not soldiers. And they look at Sam like, shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have for that scene. <laughs> I was like, wait, I was like, wait, I thought I had another bullet point and I didn't. <laughs> we learned that Sir Dennis Malister has commanded the Shadow Tower for 20 oh, years. Yeah. Um, and I think we get to see him at some point as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't know. Oh, he's he's one of the people that's running for uh, Lord Commander. Oh, yeah, and so Gilly's like, Sam, don't let them send us away. Like, you can't. And he's like, you, you, I told you, where, wherever you go, I go too. You know, she's like, you can't leave, they'll execute you. And he, he kind of like looks, he's like, oh, yeah. Like, he has like a moment of realization there, it looks like. It's kind of just kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Melisandre totally. <laughs> you sound uh, like uh, what's his face, um, Peter. Three hundred and forty-seven fajitas, please. <laughs> fajitas. Yeah. So then Melisandre shows up and tells John that the king wants a word, and she's, she's totally just, creeping on him. Yeah, she's creeping him out, <laughs> <laughs> and she just straight up asks him like, "Well, first she's like, he's like, you're not cold, my lady." She's never fucking cold. Lord's fire lives within my loins, Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, feel. And she grabs his hand and, like, puts it to her face. And he kind of pulls it away and then, like, goes to put his glove on. And it, um, he's always wearing a glove in, in the books because he burned his hand very badly on um, the lantern the when he saves yep. the Lord Commander from the White in the first season. Yeah, in book one. So yeah. his hand is all scarred up and he's constantly like stretching it out and like, you know, gripping his sword to make sure his grip is strong and things like that. So it, I just liked like a quick little look at his hand and he's like moving it around, looks like he's stretching it and, you know, goes probably to put his glove back on. Um, just a little slight little book nod, which I thought was well placed. I noticed that too. He's always, and he does that a lot throughout the series. So nice. it's a nice little nod to the book. Nice, yeah. I'd have, that's, I, I haven't really noticed it aside from that. When so he's kind of nervous, he does it when he's nervous. Nice, yeah. I'll pay attention for that. Um, so she straight up asks him you know, as he like recoils from her touch. You know, are, are you a virgin? <laughs> he's like, no. Good. She replies. <laughs> I think he's weirdly attracted to her because we know that he likes redheads. redheads. I mean, he was. At, when he almost lost his virginity, he was going to have sex with Roz. Yep. Then he lost his virginity to Egret, and now the Red Woman's, like, creeping up on him, and 
well, we know that he likes what he sees when she takes off her. He's like cupping her boobs and he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> all like <laughs> melting. But um, yeah, Sansa better look out. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but I it, just with that, the Red Woman's music is playing in the background, mm-hmm. and it's so eerie and so beautiful at the same time. It's actually one of my favorite scores that Ramin Jawadi does in general. Um, nice. It's just very Light of the Seven. You said no, oh, the sorry. Red Woman. Oh, the Red Woman. Right, right, right. Yeah, it. Anytime she kind of comes around, it it comes on just like Reigns of Castamere come yeah, on with the Lannisters. So, so she genius. has kind of a a theme song, if you will, as well, and yeah, it comes um, on in this a motif, scene. you could call it. Yeah, yeah. At least the the melody, um, but yeah, the whole theme song for sure. Um, she's just like she's eyeing him up big time and she you know her whole like seduction of gendry type thing for the king's blood john Mm -hmm. john has king's blood too you know he's got targaryen blood she might sense that i think she senses that and he also has stark blood and the starks were the kings of the north for like eight thousand years or some shit right so he's like got just as much about about as much king's blood as anybody alive um when you really want to you know think about it yeah i think she sees that i'm wondering if maybe in some of her visions about them going north maybe she was getting some visions of john but she was kind of transposing them onto stannis oh yeah yeah um and then she when she saw john for the first time through the flames she was like oh there's i mean like Maybe she's attracted to him, but maybe like physically, but I think it's coming off that way, but I think she's attracted to his blood, his like like what you were just saying, that there's yeah. something really there's special something about, about him. him. Yeah, totally. She just senses something. And I don't think that she like thinks it's King's blood and that she's using it like would like that she's like plotting about how she could use his blood per se. But uh, it's just kind of interesting that how she's so attracted to him for whatever reasons they may be, you know? Yeah. So I love the way she um, announces him to Stannis. She goes, the bastard of Winterfell. Yeah. (laughs) And then this is when John kneels. Ah, true. Nice. Yes. Good call. Yes. Oh man, and he's like, you know who rules at Winterfell now, right? Roose Bolton, the traitor who plunged a dagger in Rob Hart- Stark's heart. One of our listeners, I think, pointed out that um, he's talking about avenging his brother, but at the same time, he put blood magic on Rob Stark with the leech. You know, he did. That's so, right. You know, it's not like his hands are clean in this situation. No, and I I love when John says, "I want a great many things, Your Grace, but I am a sworn brother of the Night's Watch now." Right? Yeah. So it's just like, um, like Mance sticking to his guns in his own way. Yeah, it's just um, we know that there's a lot of wants that John has had, and one of them is to always be a Stark. And the fact that Stannis was talking about avenging his brother. You know that's the clear 
the clear reason, but I also think, I mean, he's still grieving over Egret too. Definitely. So I think he's, you know, maybe thinking, I, I want kind of her back. I want to be safe, you know? So I, I loved, I loved when he said that it, it rang really true to kind of his character from the beginning of always wanting to be a Stark and yeah, just always wanting something out of reach. Yeah. And always being the bastard of Winterfell, which is exactly how Melisandre announced him to the king. Yep, and it's sort of similar to, say, Lord Snow, which was kind of, like, insulting to him as well. Yeah, she could have just said, this is Jon Snow. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, like, there, people are always, like, using, like, sort of insulting titles, things that he's... You know, like, Lord Snow is, like, picking fun of him for being, like, a bastard. Um, of a lord. And, yeah, and same thing, like bastard of winterfell just rubs it in he's like oh fuck you know i hate being a bastard <laughs> <laughs> no one likes being a bastard <laughs> yeah yeah so that's um I, I guess i mean i also love the sentiment that davos has here he goes many of them love you many of them don't when they're talking about how many people you know at castle black like john yeah foreshadowing all those people stabbing him Mm-hmm, exactly, and Davos is the one who finds him. Oh, shit, that's true. Yeah, good call. Yeah, so I think, I mean, we pretty much covered the rest of this scene. Yep. Next, I have uh, Cersei putting up with idiots. <laughs> okay. You know, everybody's coming up to her like, Oh, your father was a force to be reckoned with, you know? <laughs> Lars I wouldn't presume to claim to have known him as such, but, you know, like, uh, his presence was enough to make it clear just how formidable a person you were dealing with, you know? Yeah. And all these people are, like, kissing his ass, Loras, Pycelle, whatever. And she's just, like, blowing them all off. And, um, you know, walking over to somebody else and they say something stupid and she just walks off ignoring them, basically. She's just such a diva. She's just a bitch. Yeah. Just a cold-hearted bitch. Yeah, totally. <laughs> There's really, like, no other way to describe her. Yep. And then we learn um, that, you know, some she's like, I never trusted Varys. We learn that people are, like, talking, you know, and that... Everybody knows that they've connected two and two. Like, Varys disappears, Tywin died. Like, he had something to do with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of funny. So Lance L shows up, and Cersei doesn't recognize oh, yeah. him, and neither do any of us, because he looks totally different than the last time he, we saw him. I know, he's like a buff little... I mean, he's actually like a good-looking guy, you know? Like, because <laughs> I never thought of him as a good-looking guy. And Yeah, before he was like a little blonde girl. <laughs> I was like, oh... Hey there you just yeah. grew up <laughs> so that was funny and uh he ends up telling her i tempted you into our unnatural relations you know and uh, i led you into the darkness and she's like i i doubt you've ever led anyone anywhere which is a funny line she's just ruthless yeah and before that though she talks to her uncle kevin and he said they call themselves sparrows the bloody fanatics right. they never would have come to the capital when tywin was alive right so we see that yep jamie's concern His, is already are being realized here. yeah yep totally good good point and then she's like uh to, to lancel i see your wounds from the blackwater have healed and he's like it wasn't my wounds that needed healing. It's like meaning like he needs to atone for his 
his actions, his incest, his incest <laughs> and then by you know doing something with Robert and the wine and the boar hunt, like feeding him this extra strong wine, basically just relentlessly, as we uh, learn. Yes, yeah, so we do discover that that was on purpose. Um, as a yep. first-time viewer, obviously, I mean, we knew that Cersei kind of had something to do with it, but that that's, yeah. you know, that was the plan. Get him really drunk and less. And we don't really know if there was poison in the wine or if there was like maybe a little bit of essence of nightshade in there to like yeah, something to like an adjuvant to like exaggerate the effects make him a little bit drowsy or he just got served so much wine that he was just so fucking drunk that right you know that's never really brought up but you know mm-hmm it, it's room for interpretation on yeah, how he truly died. Just kind of like a big reveal, like Liza mentioning, and you told me to put those drops in his drink, you know, like one of those mm -hmm. type of moments. So that's pretty cool. And poison is a woman's weapon. So Yeah, totally. And um, Cersei is just like so insufferable throughout this whole thing, you know. know. Someone says to her, I will pray for your father's soul. And she's like, the day Tywin Lannister's soul needs your help. <laughs> it was Lancel that said that. Oh, Lancel. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. So brutal. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about that one? Nope. That was it for that scene for me. All right. Next, we have Olivar and Loras and Loras's Dorn-shaped Dorn yeah, <laughs> birthmark or whatever it is. Um, and his death is for, or, you know, his like downfall is foreshadowed in this scene by when, um, Marjorie comes in and says, perhaps you might consider being a bit more discreet. And he's like, why? They all know about me anyway, but it's, it's lower. It's a uh, Olivar here that ends up being his downfall with this birthmark thing. So he's like, what's the point in trying to keep this secret, keep a secret in a place like this? You know, everybody knows everything anyway. But it's his flagrance. Is that the right word? This flagrance with this that ends up being his downfall, and he gets arrested for what sodomy and like I don't know whatever they call it, being gay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they. Well, I mean, Cersei has a derogatory term for them, but I don't <laughs> really know like what they do. Or no, it wasn't we, we... Cersei, was it? Elena that said that they were pillow biters? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think Cersei said it too. Yeah, there's been a couple uh a couple Yeah, funny, funny I, I don't know what they like actually call well, yeah, what the the crime the charge is, I don't remember. We'll have to we'd have to you know, I guess we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. That's true. Uh so I just thought that was some interesting foreshadowing there that this ends up being a big problem. I thought it was funny that Marjorie does just not care at all that she's seen her brother's like nutsack dangling down as she walks into the room. Right. She's Remember when when uh, she found Renly was with him, she was like, well, we can both, you know, you can take turns with us and or whatever. Like we can both help you out to try to make this work. Yeah. Just crazy. Weird. Yeah. To like have a threesome with your brother. <laughs> right. She's like, whatever, whatever is necessary to get you revved up. Like, just let me know. You won't just close your eyes. <laughs> Go to town. You can close your eyes and pretend I'm him. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a weird sentiment. Right. <laughs> when it's your brother, like not to be gay, but just like, hey, you can pretend I'm 
my brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally weird. Um, yeah. So, what's your name? <laughs> Oliver, I'm afraid my brother is keeping the queen or the king waiting. Oliver, right? Yeah. Oliver. Yeah, I always say Oliver. Well, she he says Oliver and then she says Oliver. Oh, maybe that's why I call him Oliver then. Like Oliver Twist. Yeah. So he like kind of gets up and leaves. <laughs> yeah, and there's something interesting that we learned that their plan is to marry Cersei to Loras so that they can then extract her out and away from King's Landing to High Garden. Yes. For like strategic purposes, which is exactly like Tywin's trying to make her leave. They're trying to make her leave, you know, and then it would just be Marjorie and Tywin or would have been at least, um, you know, digging their claws into each other or into into Joffrey or sorry, yeah. Tommen, like uh, like she had predicted. Although Tywin's gone now, so it would just be Marjorie controlling Tommen. Yeah, now the claws are actually Cersei and Marjorie. Right, and which, so think about that. That would perfectly mirror the prophecy. A younger, uh -huh. more beautiful queen coming and taking everything from you. By taking Tommen and removing Mar uh, Cersei from the situation, that would effectively be happening. Yeah, that's crazy. And I love that, you know, Marjorie's sentiment is like, you know, if she, if she doesn't go to Highgarden, you're going to be like stuck with her. And she goes, perhaps... And she already has, you know, her wheels spinning on how to get Perhaps. Cersei out of there. And we see that kind of come to fruition when she's finally married to Tommen. And she talks about like, oh, you know, you should send your mom back to Casterly Rock. It's her childhood home. Like she would have so much fun there. She yeah. always goes on about how she hates King's Landing. And Tommen's like, oh, great idea. I'm going to send her off. Yep. Hilarious. Anything else you want to add about that scene? No, and I think that's actually the end of my notes. Same here. Cool. All right. We will take a little break, guys. Enjoy the music. We'll be right back. about Game of Thrones. HBO released a new teaser trailer for Season 8, like we mentioned earlier, um, which I'm sure you guys have already seen. If not, go check it out. It's all over YouTube and everywhere. From Digital Spy, Game of Thrones creators have known how the show is going to end since Season 3. Now that we've exhausted that new Season 8 trailer for potential clues... <laughs> Yeah. We're ready to get back and rewatch one season of Game of Thrones in particular. Because thanks to the creators Dan Weiss and David Benioff, we now know which Thrones installment was instrumental in setting up how it all ends. Ooh. While appearing at Comic-Con Experience in Brazil, Dan and David told Maisie Williams that they decided how the series would wrap up pretty early on in the process. Sometime after we finished the third season is when we knew they revealed 
suggesting the events of season three were especially inspiring. So yeah, excuse us while we pour over these episodes. We've got new theories to work on. Ooh, I have, might have to go back and watch season three. <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. All right, moving on to Game of Thrones and history. Continuing from emgn.com's 12 historical events that inspired Game of Thrones and proved our world is just as brutal as Westeros. Number 10, direwolves and dire wolves. Dire wolves are an extinct cousin of wolves that are quite obviously the inspiration for Ghost, Grey Wind, Nymeria, and the other dire wolves of Westeros. Interesting. Yeah, while they were bigger and stronger than wolves, they weren't like as big as dire wolves are, um, you know, depicted on the show. Yeah, sure. Basically. That's still pretty big, though, because, I mean, like, a full-grown wolf is, like, 150 pounds. So, yeah. I mean, if they're bigger than that, that's, like, quite yeah, a pretty, substantial creature. They're pretty big, yeah. <laughs> Next, Peter Baelish, Peter Littlefinger Baelish, and Oliver Cromwell. Much like Littlefinger, Oliver Cromwell was a minor nobleman. There are many similarities between the palace treasurer, Peter, and the military leader, Oliver. As Littlefinger continues to climb the hierarchical ladder, we have to wonder whether he will follow in the footsteps of his real-life inspiration, who eventually found a way to become Lord Protector of the Commonwealth. Well, we know the answer to this now. He (laughs) does not. He does not. You know, he uh, did his thing. He tried. All right. More historical parallels from user Bahukari on Reddit. You can compare the Dance of Dragons of the Targaryens with the Anarchy, an English civil war in the 12th century, where after the king died, Henry I, a.k.a. Viserys I, the succession was divided when he named his daughter, Empress Matilda, a.k.a. Rhaenyra, as his heir. But then his nephew, Stephen of Blois, a.k.a. Aegon II, seized the throne. Yeah, seems to pretty much mirror the uh, Dance of the Dragons there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Bahukri goes on to list the Titan of Bravos as being based on the Colossus of Rhodes, which is a great parallel. Um, so I did a little research on the Colossus of Rhodes to read to you guys. From Britannica.com, the Colossus of Rhodes was a colossal statue of the sun god Helios that stood in the ancient Greek city of Rhodes and was one of the seven wonders of the world. The sculptor Chares of Lindus, another city on the island, created the statue, which commemorated the raising of Demetrius I, the first Polyocrates, long siege 305 BCE of Rhodes. Made of bronze and reinforced with iron, it was weighted with stones. The Colossus was said to be 70 cubits tall, or 105 feet, or 32 meters. And it stood beside Mandrakion Harbor, perhaps shielding its eyes with one hand, as a representation in a relief suggests. They think it's technically impossible that the statue could have straddled the harbor entrance, and this popular belief apparently only dates from the Middle Ages, but I would be hesitant to say that it's technically impossible. I mean, yeah, that's just not true. Yeah. yeah. The statue, which took 12 years to build, 
but from 294 to 282 BCE was toppled by an earthquake at about 225 BCE. So that sucks. It didn't last very long. The fallen Colossus was left in place until 654 CE when Arabian forces raided Rhodes and had the statue broken up and the bronze sold for scrap. Supposedly, the fragments totaled more than 900 camel loads. That's oh hardcore, man. Imagine that That's thing insane. just lying there for hundreds of years. It's crazy. Ugh. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last one that we have are Ironborn are basically Vikings, and Dothraki are probably based partly on Mongols and Scythians, especially the horse-centric military. You hear that? Sir Matthew of House Rep. Little does Daenerys realize that as she topples the giant harpy from atop the Great Pyramid, she is giving rise to the sons of the harpy who go on to terrorize Marine. What were Unsullied doing in that brothel anyway? <laughs> as Ollie trains with Jon Snow, Sweet Robin trains with Lord Royce. I would really be interested to see how Robin is now, three years after last seeing him as a spoiled and weak child. Love the title, speaking of both the war to come that Mance wishes Stannis good luck with, both against the Boltons and the White Walkers, and the war to come varies, speaks to Tyrion about with Danny coming to Westeros. Ah, yes. Yes. Two different wars to come. The wars to come. Yes. Very nice. I like that parallel. That, Very uh, good. Yeah, that uh, way of describing that. Thanks for uh, writing, Sir Matthew. Yeah, thanks, Sir Matthew. Okay, Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. I love that so much. <laughs> you know when Varys says to Tyrion, I didn't do it for you, I did it for the realm? I used to take this line at face value, but now I'm thinking it might be an echo of For the Watch. Nice. Scene, and possibly a foreshadowing of Varys' eventual downfall. I really hope that Varys isn't a traitor because I'm pretty sure I like him. <laughs> Hashtag et tu, Ollie. Uh, that's great. Um, <laughs> nice. The last thing that um, Caesar said apparently when he was getting killed was et tu, Brutus. Oh, as Brutus stabbed him to death. Too, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, Ollie killing Jon Snow. Same type of thing. So funny. Awesome. Always good to hear from you, Lady Lisa. Yes. Yes, it is. And thank you for all of your work on the website as well. And can I just say I'm obsessed with your artwork? It's unreal. I, know, I watched so good. you doing the the video on your uh, portrait of Robin Williams, who I've actually met before. No he way. came into my chemistry class in high school. That's so cool. He was like best friends with my chemistry teacher, and he drove an 89 red Honda Civic hatchback. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to shout out to Lady Lisa because you are quite the artist. Yeah, that, that Robin Williams portrait was Insane. next level. Amazing. Yeah. I was like infatuated. I watched the whole thing. I was like, oh my God, I can't even draw a stick figure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh crap, its body's crooked. <laughs> yeah, when you can like replicate reality to that level of indistinguish indistinguishability, it's like pretty fucking impressive. Yes. For sure. 
if you guys want to check out her book too uh she has a beautifully uh, illustrated children's book called the people you may see available on amazon yes i think i'm going to get that for my son actually nice I think he'd really enjoy that and since christmas is around the corner he's really into books right now so i think i might have to do that killer well use our amazon link oh yeah oh i sure will you know that <laughs> lady sarah of house larkham it's ironic how Stannis says to John, do you want to avenge your brother Rob? So this is what I was remembering before. It was Lady Sarah. Perfect. It's ironic how Stannis says to John, do you want to avenge your brother Rob when he and Melisandre used Gendry to put a curse on Rob when he was fighting for power against him? John killing Mance foreshadows him telling the elders at Hardhome and eventually gaining the respect of the other wildlings and them accepting him as a leader. Yeah, very true. Cersei's saying to Jamie that all the people out there are waiting to see the most feared person in Westeros is really dead, predicts how House Lannister doesn't recover from the death of Tywin. Good observations, yes, Lady Sarah. Absolutely. Very nice. Lady Lucy of House Jane. I find it really interesting that we don't see the whole prophecy from Maggie the Frog. Does that mean the TV show is changing the whole storyline? What do you guys think? I think that they're probably just leaving out a couple pieces of the prophecy so they're not quite as telegraphed when they happen on the show. Um, she goes on, I love the fact that John kills Mance. It's the ultimate act of mercy, one which helps his reputation with the wildlings. Also, does anyone else find Melisandre really creepy when she asks John if he's a virgin? It made my skin crawl. Oh yeah, she's she is a creeper for sure. Plus she's like 10 times his age or something, so it makes it even worse. Oh, and just another comment on the Stannis rescue. I loved seeing Stannis and his troops ride in, but I hated seeing the wildlings beaten down. How did you feel about that? I would have to, to agree. I hate seeing poor innocents get slaughtered, but there was one moment of levity or comedy as that one guy tries to rush Stannis and gets trashed by the guy on horseback. <laughs> Thanks so much for writing in, Lady Lucy. Awesome feedback. Thanks, guys. Always good to hear from you. That's our show, episode 83. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thanks for listening. We love you guys. Next episode, we'll be covering season five, episode two, The House of Black and White. Yes. Yeah. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. Guys, Christmas is coming. This year for your online holiday shopping, just go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. To support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast and patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both of those at gameofmicrophones.com. We want to give a warm thank you to our first supporters on Patreon. Huge thanks to Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, Luke the Low Duke, and Lord Zach of House Bruce. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. Thank you. 
Yes, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And please give us a like and review on there. That would be great. And for some reason, we're no longer appearing in the search results for Game of Thrones in the iPhone podcast app because they limit the number of search results that you can see. So uh, if you guys have a second, please give us a nice review on iTunes and that might help bump us back up into the search results. We would appreciate it. Yes. Imp slap. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have at least 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. We're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. Eunuch, the spider, the master of whisperers. Imp, half-man, there are faster ways to kill yourself. Not for a coward. You are many things, my friend, but not a coward. You never told me why you set me free. Your brother asked me to. Could have said no. Refuse the Kingslayer? A dangerous proposition. Not as dangerous as releasing me. You risked your life, your position... Everything. Why? You're not family. You owe me nothing. I didn't do it for you. I did it for the Seven Kingdoms. A drunken dwarf will never be the savior of the Seven Kingdoms. I don't believe in saviors. I believe men of talent have a part to play in the war to come. You're going to have to find another soldier. I'm done with Westeros, and Westeros is done with me. You have many admirable qualities. Self-pity is not one of them. Any fool with a bit of luck can find himself born into power, but earning it for yourself, that takes work. I'm not well suited for work. I think you are. You have your father's instinct for politics, and you have compassion. Compassion? Yes. I killed my lover with my bare hands. I shot my own father with a crossbow. I never said you were perfect. I'm sure by the time I return, his skills will have improved immeasurably. Well, yeah, sure. Royce is like, I can't guarantee that. Yeah. <laughs> Pathetic little Robin dangling <laughs> the sword around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Save me. <laughs> He's even, like, overpowering in death. He had, like, that <laughs> yeah. stare going. I'm like, ooh. The death stare. <laughs> the spider in the amp. The spider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the people that get their throats slit don't die right away. Or, like, get stabbed in the gut. They don't die right away, either. Yeah, and sometimes they even just magically heal, like Arya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one's seen Drogon in weeks. 
for all I know, he's flown halfway across the world. Spin-off show idea! You know, Dro- <laughs> Drogon's adventures, just him flying around, just <laughs> destroying everything and everyone in his path. Yes. Yes, the ultimate spin-off. Be a dragon. Yeah. And they're like, why the fuck did you leave us here, Mom? It's dark, you know, and there's not enough sheeps and, st- and stuff, you know. <laughs> Yeah, really good parallel. They just got smaller and smaller as the generations went. And yeah. uh, until the tiniest little one was so tiny. Super teeny tiny. Thanks, Shireen, you know. <laughs> right. He knocks Ollie out of the way. Right. Too. He's like, get out of the way, bitch. Cersei the Woods Witch Cersei the Woods Witch and Self Fulfilling Prophecy. Is that your dog snoring? <laughs> oh, can you hear her? Just when you stop talking. That's funny. Beagle face head. Yeah, I don't know how she got back in here. She's snuck in here somehow. Oh, Beagle. I'll just leave her. I don't even care. She Um, sounds so peaceful. (laughs) No, I only know what it's like to pick up your shit and throw (laughs) it overboard. (laughs) She's never fucking cold. Lord's fire lives within my loins, Jon Snow. (laughs) (laughs) Feel it. 